0: Welcome to Trees and Lines. We're here live at Trees and Utilities. We're excited to introduce Katie Menendi, the Head of Vegetation Management for Central Manpower. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for inviting me. Yeah.
0: Um, we kind of wanted to dive right in with you. Um, you have a very interesting background. I think you've only been in this role for... Just shy of two years?
1: Yeah, about a year and a half now. Yeah,
0: but you come from more the analytics side of things, right? Is I that actually how you- come
1: from operations, so I okay. spent the previous eight years before moving into the manager's role as the local distribution arborist in one of our service centers. Okay. So it's more boots on the ground, working with the tree crews, doing the utility line clearance, um, pre-planning circuits. for. Uh, we have, we're on cycle in the state of Maine, so working through that program. Yeah. Um, Putting everyone where they need to be, doing storm response. Is
2: that a state-regulated cycle, or yes? Okay, and how many years?
1: We are finishing our um, third five-year cycle, so we've been on cycle for fifteen years.
0: Okay, how long have you been at CMP?
1: I have been at CMP for nine years.
0: Nine years, and where were you before that?
1: I was at a company called SAPI. It's a a pulp and paper industry. Oh. Um, I was I was a operations forester, so I did the forestry thing before moving over to the utility side of the house um so my background is in forestry and wildlife ecology so they landed really well coming to the utility side it was i think not something i ever anticipated i would do when i was in college going to forestry school Uh, but surprisingly now that i'm in the utility business there's so many people that i went to college with that are in utilities it's incredible and they work either for utilities like myself or they're um working for a lot of uh you know the larger companies like an Asplund or yep. a Lewis or a, you know, yeah, running, uh, operations in the field.
0: And where did you study forestry?
1: University of Maine. University of Maine. Yeah. Oh, wow.
0: Okay. In the role that you're in now, maybe take us through some of the specific challenges that you're dealing with as, as a leader of that group.
1: <sighs>
0: and you're like, do we have enough time? Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, it's interesting. I would say, you know, my first six months was a pretty big adjustment trying to shift going from an operations mindset to more of a a management mindset so uh there's a lot i think personal struggles and growth along the way trying to figure out how to balance both and kind of let go of what i used to do for like a day-to-day thing kind of really being down in the weeds and and doing the work and transitioning to um Designing, Not designing the program, but looking at the long-range vision of the program and yep. where we want it to go. Uh, we, j- I'm very, very fortunate that the group that I have are all rock stars, and they do not need any kind of micromanagement from me. They know the uh, role. Like they know the expectations. They get up every day and get the job done. So they make my life yeah. incredibly easy, um, and I thank them as uh, much I as that. I can for it. Uh, but it, it does allow me to kind of focus on those challenges and figure out the things that we need to take care of. So um, in my first year as manager, we... Went through a rate case, and um, we had an opportunity there to kind of present a new strategy, just kind of knowing the direction that things are going with forest health and climate change, seeing the increased storm frequencies and heavier winds, more intense rains or drought conditions, and knowing kind of the impacts that that has on tree health. And, um also with your tree pest and diseases we're seeing a lot of issues with that in the state of Maine right now and we were able to put together a strategy that really it takes what we've done in the last 15 years on cycle and it's really kind of pushing it ahead, saying, hey, we've done this for 15 years. It's worked great. It's worked really well kind of getting that baseline establishment of line clearance. But right now, we want to pivot, and we want to put more focus on those hazard tree removals. We want to get ground to sky clearance and really invest where we know it's going to make a big difference for our customers and improve reliability. And well, yeah. it was great, but it was definitely a challenge Um I think one personally taking that leap of faith to say hey this is what I think we should be doing you know we should move in a different direction yes we do this well but where the leading cause of our outages are coming from are not coming from the areas that we're you know, actively maintaining within our established right-of-way boundary. We yeah, need...
2: people are realizing we maintain that box around it, yeah. but that's not where the problem is. Yeah,
1: we track every outage, but we really do a deep dive into every outage over 100 customers. We have a daily reliability call where you have all the players. So it's veg management, line department, uh, president, vice president of the company. We review everything to say, okay, here's where our outage was. Did the system work properly as designed? Um, what was the cause? Is there anything that we can go out and do and mitigate this from happening again, is really like a very detailed deep dive and a do you huge do an culture shift. of the failure? We do, yeah. Yep, we do. Every, yeah, everyone over 100, there's a there's an actual inspection. Um, It was a huge culture shift for us. And really that was uh, something that our president, Joe Purrington brought to the table. And we used to do a weekly reliability call, but he's like, no, we need to do a daily one and establish this as the new standard. And it's, it's been amazing to see the growth and progress in the last couple of years that he's been leading us. We did a more formal tracking of any customer outage over 500 for as long as I've been with the company. So definitely much longer than the nine years I've been here, but we've teased out that 96% of our tree-related outages are coming from outside of our right-of-way, so outside of our cycle maintenance zone. Um, later in the cycle shift, you might have some areas where we're only permitted to get a limited trim and really not the full standard of what we would like, and you might have some kind of encroachment and a grow-in. But that's 4% of the outages that our customers are seeing. That 96 is really coming from outside of that maintenance zone, and that's what drove that shift to saying, um, we need to make a change. So we... We're still going to keep a cycle program, but we're going from a five-year to a six-year because really at six years, we still have the... the line clearance that we need from the side, from uh, the grow-ins or grow-in potential. Um, by doing that, we can shift the money that we would be spending on the cycle trim to those enhanced hazard tree removals and gain yeah. that ground to sky over the three phase. And really, we think it's going to be a game changer for us.
2: Your, your grow-ins probably don't represent much of a risk. It's Even not. if they do grow incidental contact, it's not going to be an electrical outage. So,
1: Very, very infrequently. Yeah.
0: Knowing that from the data Does that change your uh, strategy and how you apply for budgets and rate cases and and how you're communicating with your local regulatory agencies
1: From a budget perspective no because really the what we wanted to demonstrate to our commission is you know you know we we asked for an increase in our budget but really it's just for reflection of operating cost and and labor it wasn't we didn't ask for an increase to change the program we really used the offset of the budget from shifting to you are just moving that, dollars we're moving dollars you're moving and dollars. putting okay. them where they matter Got it um, a lot of what and what we demonstrated in that rate case aside, with the ninety-six percent of all of our tree-related outages coming from outside of our our right of way, was that you know we're seeing those drought conditions, and then we're seeing you know these heavy wet, um, especially in Maine this year. It's been persistently raining, and we have yes. a lot of uprooting, um, root rot. We're seeing the colors changing, like the leaves are turning yellow and red now. I mean, it, really weeks ago, they were turning red. It's wow. just, um, But even aside from that, you have that kind of tree stress. But we also have uh, emerald ash borer, which is really having some significant impacts in the southern part of our state and moving north. Um, spongy moth, we're seeing a lot of that. We had some significant f- late frost that that with the spongy moth just like there's you drive down the roads and there's just hundreds of oak trees that have no leaves on them and we're really optimistic that they're going to come back and and respond next year but no guarantee and that's really where we need to focus our time and effort is those trees that are under all these various stresses and that we know will come down on the conductors at some point and our yeah. traditional cycle program would never capture those trees
0: katie how, how big is your team
1: I have a team of 11 um, In-house In-house, yeah Mostly distribution arborists We have one transmission arborist uh, But we're looking to grow that transmission program And really um, enhance that It's just a large part of what we do as an organization So we're really excited to go down that road And um, build the team and, And do that That's
2: great so are you doing hazard tree patrols every year, or? all
1: the time. We are doing hazard. Pre- yeah, we um, we get a list every year of our worst performing circuits from the year prior, as far as tree related outages go. We'll do patrols of those, and we do you know a, a pretty deep dive in removing those hazard trees. Um, but we're always driving around, scanning, looking if we see something that we know we need to tackle, we're taking care of it.
0: What is CMP's relationship with technology as it relates to veg? Like, are you guys technologically friendly? Are you? Making- making investment in, you know, work management tools and drone technologies and remote sensing? Like, where are you guys in the life cycle of, you know, modernizing yeah. sort of your approach?
1: So definitely on our transmission side, we're using a lot more of that. Um, LiDAR is a big part of what we do. And we've uh, both our. Transmission bench department and our transmission line department have been looking at some different technology with um, with helicopter flights and uh, doing some different kind of assessing. And you know, we kind of shade, we exchange information back and forth um, from both of the work that we're doing, and definitely the same on the tr- on the distribution side. Um, we did have a work management system that we used for a very long time, um, and we've outgrown that, and we've moving into different things to to use our work um, okay. but heavily heavily into gis um but yeah we're we're trying out some new things uh, we're heading in a really solid direction and excited about some of the stuff we're doing
0: oh very
2: exciting i, I know you're uh, passionate about pollinators i am so tell so what passionate are passionate you, about pollinators, I like pollinators. yeah she likes bees yeah. i do <laughs> and butterflies i do yeah so t- tell us about what are you doing or is the company a program
1: with my wildlife background it's just always been kind of like a thing right i i always have and as a kid growing up i was always outside um always kind of fascinated with everything and yeah pollinators are just fun like what's not to like about them so it started as a home project that i i had some milkweed and um i started digging it up and moving everywhere because i just want milkweed everywhere and it's I have my own little pollinator plants and keep expanding and probably drives my husband crazy. But um, <laughs> he's like, I just want to mow that area over there. I'm like, no, we can't. The bees, the pollinators. Uh, but I digress. So, yeah, it's, you know, we, um, we have a very... Strong established transmission program and really try to promote uh, any opportunity that we can to um, encourage our local uh, flora, our low shrubs, um, and really kind of promote that habitat to provide that pollinator opportunity. We were doing it before it was like a buzzword, right? So, like, we were putting that investment in um, to promote those areas and uh, protect that habitat but now more and more I think we're finding unique opportunities where we can try to do some implementation so we have a little trial going right now in uh, under one of our transmission lines that we kind of nothing special like we just kind of went in we're like hey wouldn't it be fun if we tried mowing this patch of buckthorn and got rid of it and uh, Do some treatment, have a control plot, do a treatment plot, herbicide only, and then do another one where they were treated with herbicide, one quadrant got grasses, and then the other one got a pollinator mix, and just see how everything comes back and what can we learn from this little mini trial to do some different strategies going forward on our transmission lines where we want to get rid of these invasives that are really taking over the area and do more of a pollinator-friendly establishment um, that we can we can maintain and encourage and I have a
2: little and I'm constantly losing the battle to Buckthorn. So uh, I appreciate it is, where it you're is.
1: Coming. incredible. I mean, this, this, for as far as you can see, it was just Buckthorn. So yeah, we, we mowed it all down and we're trying to figure out, yeah, what that, what that looks like. Um, CMP also has a great community relations department and uh, one of the community relations team she has she used to work at Maine IFNW, and and her and i we partner a lot trying to figure out where we can take these unique opportunities and do either like a pollinator habitat set up milkweed gardens get our local um girl scout troops involved in establishing some of these things either at our service centers or at a place where you know we can safely get people in and do some work um but we also use our right of ways a lot for uh um, bluebird houses. She did a big project with that, trying to set those up on our transmission lines and really any kind of pollinator, wildlife opportunity we can take to promote and encourage, we're going to do it all day long.
0: Let's say I appointed you the president of all U.S. utilities, Ugh, right? That's and a
1: lot of power. Yeah, it's a lot of power. A lot of power. And you
0: had to pick um, one key initiative that you were going to focus on that you would want to standardize across the industry, what would that area of focus be? And what would you hope that everyone would sort of piggyback uh, you with?
1: Distribution or transmission, or both. Because they probably two different strategies.
0: The question is more centered around where do you feel like the rest of the utility landscape has to kind of come together to like standardize something? What area would you take on Cause you feel like some people are doing it well. Some people are not. And you would want to standardize that mm. because you think it's the most important you get to pick.
1: That's tricky. feels like a trap question. You get
0: to boss your peers around. Go
1: ahead. <sighs> well, I think it's what, you know, it's what's interesting about that question, but also hard is you look at every different area in the United States and they all have their own different challenges. So educating the public about what we do. Oh, and yeah. I think, you know, we've, really tried very hard in the last few years at CMP to um, really open up that dialogue with the public and say, you know, it's really not as easy as flipping on a light switch, right? It's like, there's a lot that goes into how we manage our infrastructure and why we take the different principles that we do, whether it's on the infrastructure side or the veg management side, um, storm response. And I think it's really easy for everyone to sit outside and judge, doesn't matter what utility or what business it is. Um, and, and a lot of that's probably, because we naturally are really good at talking to our peers about what we do, but not as great about explaining to everybody why we do what we do, why it's significant, why it's important. Um, So I think maybe... If I was president of all the utilities, and that would be my goal and wish when I wake up, is really finding a way to strategize how all the businesses communicate, um, why they do what they do. It's okay that everyone does it a little bit differently, but why is what you're doing, why is that working for you and your company? So
2: that's that's one of the key principles of the Right-of-Way Steward Accreditation Program. There's 10 principles, and one of them is specific to engagement to the stakeholder external stakeholders educating and uh, informing
1: Yeah, I got in, you know, I got into forestry because in my little universe I'm like, okay, I'm going to get into forestry. I'm going to go work in the woods. I'm not going to have to talk to anybody. I'm just going to be in my own little bubble all the time and it's be perfect, right? And then I got into the real world and realized, nope, a big part of what I do is talk to people every day and tell them what I do. Like I need to explain to them why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I'm recommending um you know, when I started like, this is your harvest prescription and this is you, you're telling me what your goals and objectives are. Yeah. And this is why I'm recommending we take this strategy over this one. Um, and I think it's in the utility industry, the forestry world. I think that's a hard skill for people to do is communicate and really kind of, um, put themselves out there. And then it's such, it's such an important part of what we do.
0: Look, I think where the industry has exploded, um, based on all the unfortunate events that have been happening around the world, it's put a big light on this industry. And so the expectations of these professionals has increased. Yeah. And so I think there's go- there's some growing pains there, but I, I agree with you. I think that's actually a very thoughtful, very thoughtful answer that, yeah, the communication part of it, I just don't think enough people know, Yeah, you know, all the nuances and the importance and the impact of the arboriculture community, yeah. the forest community. Yeah. I
1: think, you know, having platforms, you know, like Trees and Lines, or, and then you take LinkedIn, which yep. I know you guys found me on there with yep. all of my posts. I mean, I, I think it's really good for people to take those opportunities and really showcase what they're doing and try yep. to put it at a just a a base level of, Hey, this is what we're trying. This is what we're doing. Um, and just kind of put that, those little blurps out there and showcase what everyone's kind of unique skill sets are. And I've always thought at an event
2: like this, we come and we're all technical people and we listen to technical talks. Well, we probably should do set some side or time aside where they teach us things we're not comfortable Yeah, the communication. The, yeah, you know, how do we uh, communicate up in the uh, structure of the organization?
1: Yeah, I remember I. A couple years after I started working professionally, I was invited back to UMaine by one of my old professors like, hey, come back, talk to, you know, the junior, senior class, give them an idea of what it's like to to get out in the professional world and, you know, tips of things you would suggest. And, I, you know, there's three of us who went back and I think every single one of us said, get comfortable with speaking, get comfortable with communicating a message and really trying to talk to people who do not understand what you do. It's huge. I think people really underestimate the power of communication and really how far it can go. And also with that, um, the power of when you don't do that communication, there's some pretty negative results that can happen when you either say nothing or, um, yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for, uh, Making time for us today. Thank um, you again for inviting yeah, me. This is we'll great. will have to come say hello in Maine. Actually, one of my yes, favorite beers. Yeah, come up
1: anytime. We're getting into Maine the great, goes, like, the beers. great season <laughs> so, of fall weather. Oh it's, yeah,
0: anytime,
2: anytime the next two months.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. No fall weather bugs have gone. It's yeah. yeah. Fall is a beautiful time of year in Maine. Oh
0: yeah. Maine's such a beautiful place. Yeah. And where and, uh, are you in Maine?
1: I live in Southern Maine, but I, um, I spend a good amount of years up in the central part. So um, is that
0: Kittery? Are you down in Kittery? Yeah, not
1: too far from Kittery, about okay. 30, 45 minutes north of Kittery. Um, yeah, a little bit, uh, west of portland
0: yeah west of portland yeah, yeah. I, mean, okay, it's such a I really state.
2: do appreciate your yeah you know, thanks so much of,
1: hey come do this yeah. and i know yeah. you, what <laughs> so, no, okay we really
0: appreciate it thank job. you so much no thank Wonderful. you guys so much yeah, this is great you were fantastic
1: thank you thanks
0: that's it for this episode of trees and lines brought to you by iapetus holdings if you like the show please give us a five-star rating on apple or spotify If you have any questions or comments on any of our episodes or ideas for topics or guests, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us at treesandlines at iapetusllc.com. We'll chat with you soon.